0: how to get how to find their budget y'all thought I forgot I did not forget y'all must
1: have forgot <laughs> I did I ain't gonna lie that's why I was trying to control the company no I don't mind giving it <laughs> I, don't, I don't mind giving it so this is what I tell this is what I tell a lot of people right when they go to the website um, you have an order form mm-hmm. you have you have the name information stuff like that um, but when you put estimated budget of speaker like bro when you put that there you let them tell you they're willing to pay. If they come in lower, if they come in and say, "Hey, my budget is, you know, 1500 but you know your starting price is twenty five hundred, then you get on the phone. Hey, I see your budget to fifteen hundred. My starting price is actually twenty five hundred. How can we make this happen? You know what I'm saying? And then you you put the ball in their court. Oh, and sometimes they'll say, "Oh, I really didn't know what to put. Twenty five hundred is totally fine." Or they might say, "You know what? We're strapped. We're tired of one school. We just don't have the funds." Then you have an opportunity. But that that right there literally, bro, changed my life. You know what I'm saying? Like, I knew I mm-hmm. was going to do really well. I kind of proud of myself. Like, I'm making doctor money. Like, one of my best friends, a doctor. I'm mm-hmm. like, you know what I'm saying? He making $120,000. i am like, I'm making doctor money for a year. Yes, sir. But when I did that, I looked up yeah, in like year two, year three. I said, like, yo, I'm making doctor money every month. I was just like. You know what I'm saying? Because when they start saying I got eight grand or I got fifteen grand, I was just like, "Ooh." Let me show you. I'm gonna show you. The, I'm gonna show you the um the picture if I can find it. It's probably at the very top. My very first.
2: Uh, mm. That's the only three ways. The only three reasons why somebody won't buy
0: from you. So with this dollar, truck, here's. Because I didn't know why I, I figured I was doing it because you know we just kept like let them taste test it right mm-hmm. but in this way I can identify well they can identify oh this is a good fit because in their head they don't they don't know if it's a good fit or not mm-hmm. before a di- dollar um, a dollar they could do it they can see the value. Because, all right, for seven days, you're going to get a, a, a freaking conference for a week. Mm-hmm. And then they realize, wow, that I have the money. Mm-hmm. Because even after that, it's only $79. But they'll say they could be able to compare. Oh, well, for the value, for sure. $79 is nothing. Done. That was the dopest commercial we've ever given. <laughs> so go to the morning meetup, Doc. Ha, Golly, I love this interview. Go to com. I can't wait to see you in the morning. Okay, Speck, I got to ask you, um, before you give us something deep on the closeout, um, I like to make predictions on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And I want to know where you see yourself in the next five to 10 years so that I can watch this interview five to 10 years from today and say, mm. yo, Speck said he was going to do this. And look, he actually did it. hmm Especially dope. I like that.
2: In five years.
0: Five to ten.
2: Five years, my school is definitely gonna be one of the most talked about schools on the planet. Mm. Is one thing. Second thing is. In five years, I'm going to have some major product wins. What does that look like? Products that everybody, at least one of them that everybody has to use. Like... Like right now, everybody. Like the passport joint? Like, like, is that what you think? Like, similar. Yeah. Something like that. Like, something that, like, I need this. Like Uber. People need that. You need Uber. Come on. Now. You need Uber. Gotta have Uber. Amazon. Like, I need, I need Amazon. I need that. It's gonna be mm. at least one thing. That I create that the people will need. Mm. And that's going to be my moment I talked about. That's going to be your moment. Five to 10 years. That's going to be the moment. I love it. I love it. And you don't even know what it is yet. I might have it already.
0: Do you have it? I might have it already. Do you think you, is it like something that you're thinking of, like that you're working on that you think you got? Or you're just saying, in my life, there's something that I'm missing that I don't see just yet.
2: I think I have it. I'm working on something that's going to disrupt the world in terms of putting money into
0: the black communities hmm. for ownership. Can I be a part of that? You said your Close, ass, bro. Yo, yo, you, man, you, I'm, I'm gonna be consistent. <laughs> <laughs> I'll <gonna> be consistent. <laughs> you already my man. So <laughs>
2: yeah, but That's listen, cool. you will be a part of it, though. Mm. You will be a part of it. Um. And 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 this is this is one thing that I talked about earlier It's called social seed, where we're gonna have it where people get to actually have ownership in products, viral products, big products, products that's killing it that they would never get the they would never get the opportunity. When you try to do you know when you try to invest, you got to become an accredited investor.
0: Right, you know what right.
2: that means. You yeah. got to have over two hundred thousand dollars, or, and it doesn't even count your house. So if you got a million dollar house, still don't matter. So it's either two hundred thousand personally, or three hundred thousand with your spouse included, or over a million dollars in net worth. What average? House. What average? So if you see a good deal. That you can literally take advantage of. You as an intellectual can't even take advantage of it mm-hmm. because they have systems in place for us not to take advantage. Cause guess what? We all ain't got that.
0: Do you know what's so crazy? And not even too long ago, Obama finally made it to a point where, um, where, um, you can create smaller crowdfunds. He created some bill mm-hmm. that kind of unlocked it a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Not yet, but you know, like. He created, because it was, it, it's like illegal, but now I think it's, um, or he either, it's something where like the little guy can get into it. Somebody's going to comment and be like, David, you're an idiot, but yes. But no, that's
2: this is the point I'm making. It's like they put things in place to make sure we don't get what we deserve. Like, why I gotta be a credit investor. Yeah. You know, it's like, I know it's little other little reasons people gonna come up with, oh no, it's cause it is. No, no. I feel in my heart, it's so certain people don't get into certain plays mm-hmm. to get to where they need to get to. It's like the music industry. Whoever was the puppet at the time. I walk out the school. I got my book bag. I see
1: one dude in the hallway. He's like, yo, that's some real shit. I was like, that's what's up. You know what I'm saying? He's like, nah, for real, bro. That touched me. I was like, that's what's up. I said, what's your name? He told me his name. He's like, yo, bro, you changed my life today. And I hear it all the time. And I never take it for granted. But I was like, that's what's up, man. He's like, nah, for real. I want to show you something. So I walk with him. And he go to the bathroom. And so he was like, "Yo, come here! I'm gonna show you something." I'm thinking like, to <laughs> <laughs> the bathroom? Yeah, <laughs> show you something. I thinking like, bro, this is so weird. So I like walk to like close to the bathroom door, but I'm still in the hallway. <laughs> so he go to the star. He's like, "Yo, come here! Come here! I don't want nobody to see this." And so he like pull up his shirt and his pants. I'm like, "Bro, what you on, bro? You know what I'm saying? I, like just like that, like, bro, what you on?" So my man pulls out a half a pound of weed. And was in tears, and he was just like, "Yo, I thought this is all I could do. I thought this is all I was worth. All my uncles, my dad, like this is all I know." He's like, "But you showed me something different." And as he's talking, he's stuffing it down the tall and the drops flush it. <laughs> the tall is about to overflow. I'm trying to scrape up the weed before somebody come in. Like the most dodo, but heart, like amazing experience ever, bro. And my man was like, yo, I'm turning over. I'm changing my life today, starting today. And he was like, I'm thank you so much. Like, that stuff right there, you know what I'm saying? Like, you can't put a a dollar amount on that. Like, that stuff right there, I'm like, man, if that don't move you to say, you know what, I got something inside me I want to share or or whatever you do. Like, everybody's purpose is different. Some people that might not be.
3: And the answer was that the... uh, people in the military police were way more satisfied with that than people in the Air Force. This was very puzzling because almost no one got promoted in the military police, and everyone got promotions in the Air Force. So why would people be more satisfied in the military police? Well, the answer is that so many people got promoted in the Air Force that getting promoted was meaningless, right? Um, so few people got promoted, the the median condition in the military police was not getting promoted. So if you didn't get promoted in the military police, you're like, well, no one is, it's fine. If you didn't get promoted in the, mil- in the Air Force, oh, man, you're devastated, because everyone's getting promoted, right? And if you did get promoted, it's like, who cares? Everyone's getting promoted. So it's like, do you see that the, the, the <laughs> it's this totally inverted thing, you think that you're making life better by promoting everyone, but you're not. You're simply creating, you're simply altering the set of existing expectations. Um, so, the. So yeah, I don't know whether you can... Um, messing around with hierarchies is a very, 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 very tricky business, and it's probably better just to try to avoid them when you can.
4: Thanks.
5: Oh, go ahead. Hi Malcolm, thanks for coming. In. Um, my question is a little bit around, I guess, your media diet. Obviously, as someone that writes a lot about social science, you have to go through a lot of academic journals. But what was actually really interested to see was that you had a really, I think, mean, cogent and, and fluent conversation with Bill Simmons often on his blog about sports and different topics. So I was wondering a little bit about your media diet outside the academic journal sphere, and like how you kind of keep your mind and horizons broad across yeah. different topics.
3: Well, I'm a huge sports fan, so there's an enormous amount of consumption of sports-related stuff. Uh, And um, particularly these days, I I spend an enormous amount of time watching obscure European track and field meets on sort of live streams at 2 in the morning. Um, So there's that. And then... uh, But I think, you know... My strategy has always been you can't you have to very consciously differentiate yourself from where you think your professional peer group is going um, so the to the extent that people are my to the extent that people migrate to things that are accessible online, I feel I should migrate to things that are inaccessible online, so the value. Or to the extent that people stop reading books and read, I feel I need to read more books. Um, So I've been, what I've been trying to do is to kind of, it's why I spend a lot of time in actual physical libraries, reading things in hard copy. Because there's a kind of serendipity that you get when you, this is not in any way meant a criticism, by the way, of search engines for example <laughs> which are incredibly useful but they are but they you know they also have limitations they reward a certain kind of serendipity and they punish another kind of serendipity right and if you really want to if you're interested in serendipitous learning as i am much of what i uncover is uncovered serendipitously you have to be a student of all of the different mechanisms of chance encounters with the unusual and the insightful. And so that means that not only do I spend a lot of time screwing around online on databases, but I also very, very consciously make sure that I go to physical libraries and walk through the stacks. And even something as simple as you're interested in one book and then you go and you just look at all of the books that surround it Right And the connections are not always the connections are there's there' are connections between them, but it's a different kind of connection than they would be connected online. It's not a keyword connection right it's a thematic connection or it's a so there's all these sorts of you have to be a student of these kinds of um of the of the different ways in which ideas cluster um And so that, and I've been, I've thought a lot about that in recent years as a way of distinguishing myself from um, other journalists.
5: Thank you. Hi, I have a quick question. In your last uh, book, Outliers, you spoke about uh, the advantages of, you know, whether it's being born in a certain year or having access to the earliest computers and stuff like that. And in this book, you have a whole new section called the disadvantages of being advantageous. I was wondering if you see a contradiction or if, how do you reconcile the two? Yeah,
3: well I have several answers to that question. Um, uh, so there's clearly a difference between, the notion that I play with in this book is called desirable difficulty. And desirable difficulty is a class of, uh, of difficulties that have paradoxical outcomes that force you to do things that end up being advantageous. So um, there's a whole whole school of uh, of research around these people at UCLA called the Bjorks who try and uncover specific examples of desirable difficulties. A good one would be, for example, a simple one would be um, studying strategies uh, to the extent that you can make your studying process more difficult, you will retain more information. So the Bjorks have these beautiful data that says if you're learning um, something very complex, um, the best thing to do is to learn it in small chunks. So say I have three tasks that require mastery. I have two choices. I can master the first, master the second, and master the third. Or I can break up all the learning into ten-minute chunks and do ten minutes, ten minutes, ten minutes, ten minutes, ten minutes. They say do the latter, even though it's harder,
5: even though you have to start over. Before you guys got like into a relationship, relationship, or was it the relationship first and then you guys teamed up together?
4: So it was the relationship first, and um, you know, part of what brings us together um, are our commonalities. So we both have an interest and a background in Asia. And that's the region that we were working. So we were in different offices, but the same region. And so we both had... um, So I was... uh, I lived in Japan from the ages of two to six. And I spoke Japanese when we lived there. And then we moved back to the States after that. So I had this, you know, my, my like pivotal, my growing years were in Japan, so I had this really? yeah, so I had this really strong. What were you connection. doing in Japan? My parents, my pa- my dad's Venezuelan, okay. so my mom met my dad in Fort Lauderdale, moved with him to Venezuela. I was born there, and they converted to Buddhism, a Buddhism that the sect is um, it's the Nichiding, uh, Shoshu Buddhism, and from Japan. So, they had friends who had already gone to, like, explore this Buddhism more in Japan. And my parents were trying to figure out how to get there. My dad found a school that did, um, had a master's in architectural photography. So, he enrolled in the school. He, like, learned Japanese, enrolled in architectural photography school, and they just took us. Well, I was just me at the time. So, yeah, my, my mom, I'm two, and my mom goes h- halfway across the world, and they, they like adventure. That's my super cool. Yeah. You <laughs>
5: learned English and Japanese. I mean, you were obviously old enough yes. to already know English, but you learned Japanese at a very young age.
4: Yeah, so Japanese, Spanish, and English were my first three languages which was interesting when I moved back because I moved to St. Petersburg and, um, I, my second grade teacher (laughs) tried to hold me in my first grade, my first grade teacher tried to hold me back because she said that knowing so many languages made me slow, (laughs) which, you know, that's, it was 1986. That's okay. Um, but my mom pushed back. And I ended up in gifted class instead. <laughs> so, um, teach their own exactly. <laughs> but ever since then, I was, you know, when we got to the agency, you know, I I want I had Spanish. I was like, I can pick Japanese right back up. I had enough of it, and that was my interest. And then Andy has Chinese, and his um he has a degree in uh, East Asian studies, and so we had this common interest in that region and in working the targets in that region. So it was natural for us to eventually end up working the same targets. I don't think we were ever at the same time in the same office, but that doesn't mean that we weren't working the same targets, if that makes sense. Like, um, for example, They'll have a regional office that will do Asia, but then they'll have another office that does a subject matter like counterproliferation, right? So you can be, have two people, one in a regional office, one in counterproliferation, and then they overlap because counterproliferation happens everywhere in the world. So that's how it ended up happening.
5: And where are you guys at at this point? Like, where is the CIA headquarters Like that you guys... Where's the building that you guys are working at?
4: So we were in Langley at the main headquarters. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And we were there for quite some time before, you know, doing TDYs and things like that. So... And
5: how long was it before you guys actually went out into the field and went to Asia together?
4: So we... And where
5: would you guys go? To China?
4: Uh, We... I... We can't think, say. Yeah, we can't say the exact location. Asia. Oh, Asia, okay. <laughs> Asia. okay <good> <laughs> um, but we did a number of TDYs separately. Um, so we had started traveling for the agency almost as soon as we joined. Oh, okay. Right. Like he, him going, you know, I would go one country, he would go another country d- at different times as the office, as the mission dictated. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, eventually I, I knew that I wanted to be assigned overseas, um, for a longer period of time. So I started, you know, just putting a little bug in my manager's ear. Like I will go literally anywhere. Um, I was like, Ulaanbaatar, I don't care. Like just send me overseas. Um, I wanted the excitement of being in the field because it's, the work is different, right? Like headquarters work is slower, field work, like you are on the ground real time, like stuff happens, you know, like um, where we were, there was a, like a small terrorist attack while we were assigned there, you know, and I'm like, it's action, like stuff is happening real time. Like I'm working with the foreign service there. Um, You know, it's just incredible. So we, I think we were together. I think we were together three years um, before we were sent out for a long assignment. And that was, it was amazing. What
5: is it about about asia and those cultures that excite you or interest you
4: so i think a lot of it has to do with my childhood just the fact that i because my first memories are of japan Mm -hmm. and because my parents are buddhist so even when we came back that culture continued um it's just comfortable for me i like so i I definitely feel American. I am definitely Americanized, but I also have this very strong like I understand the the culture of putting your community before yourself, which is very Asian, right? Like Americans mm-hmm. are very independent. um you usually put yourself before others. but in Asia, like when like when coronavirus started.
1: Because your habits create your character, and your character determines your destiny. As we learned from our mutual mentor, you know what I'm saying? Like, success can, will take you there, but your character, your gifts and talents will take you there, but your character will keep you there. But it all starts right here inside the mind, so we got to have a strong belief system. Because I remember when we used to school, you would see the little posters that say, if you believe it, you can achieve it. Bro, that's facts. That was a ball. We thought it was corny. We thought it was cliche, but that's real. That's real. So when I began to believe I could do these type of numbers, when I began to believe I could travel the world, bro, my wife looking for homes down in South Africa. I was like, boo, come on, boo. She's like, oh, you don't believe? I was like, I have to check myself. Like, bro, don't be a hypocrite. Like, do you believe? People got to believe. And so that everybody that's watching us, everybody that's listening right now, like, I need you to believe in that power, that purpose, that potential, that society. you God has an amazing plan for your life if you believe. What do I look like trying to trying to determine where my life's going to go. I ain't that smart. I ain't that talented. People talk about a five to 10-year plan. That makes sense, and it sounds good, but for me, I'm not even smart enough to figure out what I'm going to do with my life, right? That's why I wake up at 5 a.m. and I seek the face of God. Like, what you want me to do? What you think is the best play? And then I run that play. Like, that's how people can go to the next level. So it starts with the belief system, and then you got to put that work in every single day because my brother Brian, I here no more. And if he was here, he'd be putting that work in. So I felt what I look like feeling tired. What I look like feeling lazy. What I look like talking about what's not comfortable in me. Comfort Mm -hmm. don't pay bills. You know what I'm saying? So we got to be willing to put that work in every single day. So let's go get in. That's be great.
0: Listen, can't close out no better than that, man. Do me a favor. Make sure you follow Jeremy
3: Anderson. Okay. Every time, right? You go 10 minutes, 10 minutes. and you come back to the first thing. and You're like, oh, what was I doing again? It was like this re-entry problem. It's like the re-entry problem is not a problem it's why you will remember and master it way better it's forcing you to your brain to kind of go into a different mode so they so the idea is that yeah there's a set of things getting access to if learning programming is requires 10,000 hours of mastery and you're in a condition where access to computers is constrained early access to computers will be an unalloyed advantage right but that doesn't mean that there aren't other situations that we could find um, where what looks like, where access to something um, preferentially may look advantageous and not be advantageous at all. So my discussion of dyslexia in the book is all about conditions under which dyslexia can, not knowing how to read can be advantageous. Why? Because the strategies that you might follow to work around your reading problem can end up being more helpful to you than reading. So I, I have this long thing about the David Boyes, the lawyer, who basically can't read, and as a result developed an incredible capacity to listen and an incredible memory. If you're a trial lawyer, believe it or not, it's more important to have an amazing memory and be a incredible listener than it is to know how to read. Right? Not if you're a litigator or a corporate lawyer, but if you're a trial lawyer, yeah. Not if you're a, sorry, a corporate lawyer, but if you're a trial lawyer. So we can clearly, I don't think it's, we can clearly say, look, there are desirable difficulties and there are undesirable difficulties. Um, that said, on a broader macro level, is there a possible contradiction? Yeah. But <laughs> so what? Like, We're all we're all adults. I don't know why people are so terrified of contradiction. I think contradiction is like, it's fine. I mean, I can identify hundreds of contradictions in my own life. All of you can. It's in fact, I I've recently been I've gotten so interested in this I that I'm doing I was this next project I'm working on is all about the centrality of contradiction in human behavior. And that instead of, the idea has always been that as human beings, what we seek to do is to locate and extinguish contradictions. I think that's nonsense. And there's a lot of very interesting social science research which suggests, to the contrary, what we do is we exploit, we aggressively exploit our contradictions. They enable us to do all kinds of, not always good things, Um, so I'm very interested in, I was talking about this at lunch, very interested in this notion that um, we are sometimes behave generously or, proact- or pro-socially towards an outsider group in order to justify turning on them in some future situation. And I, the, I have this, this the, the, the incredible example of this is Adolf Eichmann, the architect of the Final Solution, who spends the 1930s pretending, not pretending, convincing himself that he's a Zionist. He uh, reads books on Zionism, he goes to Jerusalem, he uh, hangs out with the rabbis of Vienna, he uh, teaches himself Hebrew, and He does this, and what that means is that when it comes time to, and he's responsible in the 30s for deporting thousands of Jews from Vienna to Palestine. What does that do? It enables him, when he he turns to exterminating Jews, to be able to say to himself, in his grotesque way, I don't hate Jews. I was deporting them, I was saving them, I was reading Hebrew and going to Jerusalem. And and at one of the death camps that he sets up, he builds a library, and he imports Judaica from a prominent Jewish library in Prague. And he would go and visit this place, this grotesque concentration camp, and sit in the library and read ancient Hebrew manuscripts. He, at his core, this man had a massive contradiction and he wasn't driven to resolve it. He used it to justify everything he did over the course of the war, right? Now that's a horrible, extreme, grotesque example. But My point is that we all have within us these contradictions and I've, I, I think that's part of what it means to be human. And just as you can use contradictions for terrible ends, like Eichmann did, they are also, at the same time, the ways in which we explore new ideas and expose ourselves to risky things and do all kinds of things that are ultimately positive. And if you're not willing to tolerate contradiction um, in your own life, I think you're you're, um, limiting yourself in a certain sense. Um, uh, you're also running, you're running huge risks in being, you know, like Eichmann route is the risky route, right? But at the same time, someone who insists on that everything be absolutely consistent is leading an impoverished life, um, I think. Um, so I, yeah, I try to resolve on. Thank you.
5: Why don't we take one more question? in the context of Google and the innovator's dilemma that you mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. when you are a giant, how do you stay a giant and kind of towards the book not be slayed by a David? (laughs) Oh, well,
3: Well, you know you will be eventually. Right. (laughs) Um, I mean, give me an example of you know, there is these, what's fascinating about, so in your space, there's kind of IBM, which does this thing, which in retrospect seems.
2: on that. Yeah, once they see that, it's real, it's legit, and I ain't just talking out my net, man, they shipping them things off. Now I have to sign a service agreement and right. all that good stuff, and that was cool and all, but I didn't exchange any money. Until I got my money from the federal government. Wow. And like, as soon as they the government got it, they paid you. I that's why I had to that's why I had to be at a net zero, cause I had to pay the uh authorized retailer. Gotcha. Now if they if I put some money up front, then I could have did a net fifteen or something like that and waited for it. Right. But but since since it was no money exchange, it's basically a handshake and they, they got the valid contract, yeah, I need my money, ASAP. I don't want them calling me, you know what I mean? So I was at a net zero $75,000
0: to order some iPads, bro. There's
2: more of them out there like that. That's nuts. There's more of them out there like that. You know, I have
0: made $30,000 a year at the Cheesecake Factory. I had to work 40 hours a week Jeez. 40 to 50. You was balling. I was at the gas station <laughs> working,
2: <laughs> making less than. <laughs> I was at 15000 a year. for a decade. Come on, man. <laughs> man, yo, switch the sweet guy want this. Newport man
6: want that. You know what I mean? Blow pop kid want this. Like, yo,
0: that's man. crazy. Yeah. Yo, congrats yeah. on your success, I man. I appreciate it, man. That, that is crazy, I think it's. Uh, I think it's important, too, a guy
2: coming from where I come from. With the information that I have, I got it. I got to share it. Because if you listen to how most people talk about government contracting and federal government contracting, they speak of it as, as if it's a daunting task. Yeah. It's, like it's so hard.
0: I definitely think yeah. it sounds scary to me. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's how most people
2: think about it. God, It's not, that, it's not that difficult. Understand the process. Understand that Everything can be middleman. Mm-hmm. The government allows us to subcontract every single contract that they have. You just got to put the pieces to the puzzle together. What's your advice, man? Now, what is your advice? Now is hooping mm-hmm. and traveling, man. Really? Yeah, hooping and traveling. Like, I try to go to places domestically just to see what they hoop game like. The hoop situation. Man, I'm like that.
0: You ain't no hooper,
2: man. Okay. I'm tough. I hit. I told you I hit you. I'm like, man, hooping them joints. <laughs> when you leaving? I can stick around, man.
0: Hold on, you
2: <laughs> nah, we, we might
0: have to get funky out here, man. Let me. I
2: can, I can stick around.
0: Okay, we might be on the. Uh... Okay. <laughs> Set it up. Set it up. We well, might have to set that up. Set it up. Man. Is he nice, Jose? You haven't seen it. You ever seen it? Yeah, yeah but he, don't, the but he, he
5: don't.
0: don't he He don't, He showed up to the gym in like these jeans and uh and Hirachis. It was oh, crazy. It no. was like there's like sweatpants jeans or something like that. I'm like yo, Jose, <laughs> what is happening right now? So uh, nah, all right. So um, travel. Do you travel with your wife a lot? Uh, Dang, that's not- crazy. Well, not he yeah, <laughs> <yeah. laughs> so said. Oh, yeah. I me. Mean, I mean, you got to that that, That's why I survived you. That's my thing. I yeah, got to yeah, get away. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: But you got Peep game too. People are calling me to, to come out there to teach them my process. Oh. So I'm going out there to work, right? So I'm going out there to work. You two, pull up on days. your students? Yeah, pull up on. Yeah. I mean, not just everybody gets. The not course. everybody. Yeah, yeah. Not every- I don't pull up on everybody, but. If
0: it's a group six or more, I'm pulling up. Oh, so if it's like a group of six people that got the course or whatever. Yep. And they say, hey, we need higher
2: education. Or they say, we purchased the course, but we want you to actually come out here and teach us real time too. I'm dead. We should do something in Atlanta. Let's do it.
0: We should do something in Atlanta. Let's do it, man. Yo, do, do we, so look, so there'll be a link in in the um in, a, in our description. And you can use promo code Social Proof. Again, I don't know how much it's going to be. I'm going to negotiate. Be good at negotiating, So I got it. We're going to negotiate the biggest good one. discount. I'm a, good one. I'm a good one. I'm a good one. I'm a good negotiator. We're going to negotiate the biggest discount possible. Yeah. And um, yeah, man, let's, let's, let's try to set up these little meetups, man. Especially if that's dope because like groups can get together and... Kind of iron sharpens iron. You feel me? That's what I'm saying. And that's
2: why I told you, like, I can speak about it all day long. But when you bring somebody else in that's actually listened to the information, understood the process, and received the result, right? It ain't nothing better than that. Mm. It's nothing nothing better. Like, I get overwhelmed when my students say, I won my first federal contract. I'm like, yo, that's crazy. Knowing that it took me three years with no help. Yeah. And now I'm able to help people condense
0: their time frames. Yeah. I just get excited, man. Yeah. That's, that's lit. lit. Yeah. And I think it's lit because you got rich from government contracting. And then now it's not like, yo, know, the the money people pay for the program is is not are funding your lifestyle. Right. It's like yeah. you you're really like just giving a blueprint for us. Right. Us, right. our people. Peep game.
2: Clubhouse, people will reach out to me off of a clubhouse meeting room, mm-hmm. and they'll ask for phone calls. Oh, can I talk to you for 15 minutes, 20 minutes? They instantly say, How much do you charge for a phone? I'm like, what? People charge you to talk to them real quick? Like, I'm pulling up uh, on the phone, just, like, uh just wait till
0: after this interview, uh, brother. Uh, All right, talk to him. Talk yeah, to them about it. Your tone is gonna change. <laughs> Yeah, it, because it's, it, it, to it's gonna it's gonna be overwhelming
2: when and it gets to that point, like when it seriously gets overwhelming, then yeah, I gotta. But maybe I have out. like group. So okay, so, so. That's, but that's what I'm saying. But this is how I just feel like sometimes somebody might just need a couple of minutes with somebody to get them to their next level. Yeah. You feel me? Because I feel like I needed that. Yeah. I just needed somebody to just say, "Hey, man." Give me 10 minutes of your time, I can get you to your next level.
6: With them peppers on that motherfucker look way better than that cheese pizza. So yeah, I publicly ate pork in front of the Muslim niggas and uh, the Imam Omar Sharif. Uh. Yeah, so ever since then, I've said, yeah, fuck that shit, <laughs> yeah, I was playing anyway. Yeah, my mama Jesus loved it. I really loved Jesus. I was just being rebellious because I was mad at God. Let me get locked up for killing that white man. Mm. Yeah, I wasn't no real motherfucking Muslim, and don't no real Muslim blow theyself up like the real Muslim. Them the real motherfucking Muslim. Yeah, I ain't
2: gonna lie. I be I don't I don't know what they teaching them, but whatever it is, it's, it's some shit. Cause
6: I don't know no other religion that will kill theyself yeah. for these these for what these they black taught. Muslim. These niggas just playing. These niggas just angry at their daddies and, and barking at white folk. You ain't never seen none of these Muslim niggas blow up a car. Yeah, they yeah, don't even you know. They dedicated for real. Yeah, yeah, them <laughs> niggas just sell newspapers and fruits and wear bow ties. Them other Muslims don't even wear bow ties. Yeah, them other white boy Muslims and long real Muslims, they don't even wear bow tie. They wear dresses.
3: choose not to. Um, the other thing that it would tell you is it would, it would say something about whether, about the size of teams as well. I mean, it would seem to argue, I would think, um, although maybe not, It says it's really about the structure of, of teams, that to the extent that you can keep things that, um, that are as flat as possible, I think you minimize the damage caused by
5: um, hierarchies. Thank you. Hi. Thanks for coming to speak. So I just started in people operations about a month ago, and since I've been here, I've had a lot of people recommend uh, Strength Finder and other books like that. And I've taken a look at it, and I can't help but think that things like that are kind of, uh, as the great skeptic James Randi said, flim-flam, mm-hmm. um, or like, Modern-day uh, pseudo social science, and I'm wondering what if you have any insight into those because I know companies spend a lot of money buying those kinds of books for their yeah. employees.
3: I have, uh, I have to confess, I've never read any of those. I mean, I um, I know that they're very successful um,
5: in sell in sales or in what they set out to in do? sales. No, it's um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but
3: I I guess I would only say. It, it should. It's interesting, though, that there is such a hunger for that kind of thing. You know, people, I always say this, people are experience-rich and theory-poor, mm-hmm. that most people necessarily um, lack access to organizing principles in their life. Um, if you're not immersed in the world of academia and you don't have the leisure to produce, to follow and Acquire grand theories. You don't have theories to explain things. So, whenever there is someone comes along with an explanatory mechanism for something that is that you are experience rich in, it's enormously attractive. Um, so that you know, if that's a lousy, if StrengthFinder is lousy, it's incumbent on us just to come up with better and more sophisticated ways of. Um, but it's it's clear that there is a massive demand for something. Um, to allow people to
5: organize their experience. Hey, Malcolm. My name is Mike. Thanks for being here. Um, my question is kind of going back to the value of elite institutions again. Um, so, so you talk about how someone who goes to Harvard, someone who goes to University of Tennessee, they are intrinsically going to do the same if they're um, you know, on the same intelligence level. So I guess my question is, you know, you hear you're kind of the average of the five people you hang around. You surround yourself with people who are smarter than you. You will naturally elevate your level. Do you believe in that, or do you believe that's kind of, you know, it seems like your theory is is kind of uh, puts the merits towards that, you know, thought process?
3: Well, there's a a couple of things. One is that... um, one of the implications of that argument is that there are a lot more very able people at um, non-elite institutions than we think. And actually, this is kind of a fascinating thing. So to take a step backwards, uh, the larger question is, how efficient are elite educational institutions um, in, as search engines for talent? What percentage of the of qualified students do they actually uncover? And, and the answer is, we used to think they were very efficient. What we have discovered recently is they're actually quite inefficient. In other words, enormous numbers of very, very intellectually capable people never even come close to the 250 top colleges in the country so non selective colleges have a much larger share of uh, of the intellectual aristocracy than we would imagine so that's so so to your question, if you go to the University of Tennessee, you can find lots and lots and lots of very very intellectually cap- capable people to hang around with, and you probably will grab if you are that kid who could have gone to Harvard, you will probably gravitate to those five. The difference being that. So you'll be surrounded by peers who maybe every bit as able. The difference is that you will almost certainly be the top of your class as opposed to running the risk of being in the middle of the bottom. So you're getting two um, benefits, intellectual benefits, as opposed to maybe only one. Um, the other thing, of course, is that... Uh, well, I'll leave it at that. There are many, many parallel arguments along these lines. Now, of course, not everyone can... Follow the strategy. If everyone does it, it ceases to work. Right? Everyone can't go down a notch, or <laughs> so. The whole thing is: I, if you're going to follow the strategy, do it quick before I sell too many books, and the advantage is wiped out. But uh <laughs> okay, thank
6: you.
1: So you said in response to a previous question that it would be useful to eliminate some hierarchy so that you get rid of this problem of people being at the bottom. But how do we know that's the bigger issue as opposed to it's just a great boost to people when they are at the top? And if that was the predominating factor, then maybe we should just have more awards or more way to recognize people.
5: Oh I
3: see. Oh you mean have a kind of pretend hierarchy where you give everyone a pat on the back?
4: Maybe we should have even more levels of
3: hierarchy. Oh, I see. Well, but the, you know, the, um, so the classic study, I have to see if I got this right. The classic study in this regard, which I talk about in the book, is this famous study that was done in this, the largest psychological study ever in the United States was done during the Second World War of American soldiers. And one of the most interesting insights was a comparison of um, uh, uh, commissioned officers in the Air Force, the Air Corps, the precursor to the Air Force, and commissioned officers in the military police. And the question was, who was more satisfied with, uh, um, with their promotion prospects, the openness of their uh, institution to rewarding talent?
7: Having the finances, man, is just like a business. Your music is a business. You know what I'm saying? And I just feel like a lot of people don't understand that. You, how are you so good at music? And then when it comes to the business or contracts or uh, finances, look, you don't know anything about it. But you talking about you You clearly just doing music for no reason. If in your head, you're not thinking that I'm going to be the biggest rapper in the world. Okay, what comes with being the biggest rapper in the world? Damn, lawyers, um, accountants, uh, taxes. Um, You feel me? That's how you gotta think. That's the only way that you gonna really be the top nigga in the world. You know what I'm saying? I don't see no other way of being the biggest rapper in the world if you ain't thinking like that. You know what I'm saying? You just going to the studio doing some music because clearly you wasting your money. Also, if you go start your LLC, let's say whatever you call your LLC, Trap Boy or Big Dog LLC, right? So if you got an LLC and it's about music from the studio should be a write-off. When you go in the studio and you pay for your studio time, let's say if you spend five hours a day in the studio, everything should be a write-off. All the clothes you buy, you as an artist should be a write-off. The cars you're driving, it should be a write-off. Where you stand should be a write-off. You're an artist, you're an entertainer, always. Every When you go in a strip club, you, I need 5,000 five thousand ones, but give me a receipt. You feel me? Get that to your account. That should be a write-off because you're an artist.
2: You're a brand. But a lot of Do I think I'm smart?
0: Define smart. Like like the stri- strategic thinker, just like just the 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 smartest person in the room. No. I'm of, not right, the smartest I feel like in the room. I I I don't feel like I'm um I honestly don't feel like I'm that smart in terms of like, um, in, I don't know, I don't, I can't say not intelligent, but there's some things that my mind just doesn't process. So right now, I still don't 100% understand how you monetize Twitter, even though you told me. And my mind's trying to follow it. And I'm like, all right, well, okay, you send people to the, Better, but do they pay your system besides that's why i feel like you just you look you see things in pictures so well, in terms can of, you
2: clearly define see things in pictures
0: all right look i know you're enjoying the episode but i gotta tell you finally you asked for it and we created a patreon okay we created an inner circle we have amazing stories amazing information, the how-tos from the episodes. The only thing we're missing is a community. So it's about that time. We put together our Patreon. We put together a community because we have to have conversation around the information. So even this podcast we're listening to right now, there needs to be conversation. I want to hear what you got. I want to hear what you got. Like, let's throw some stuff back and forth. And because we're a like-minded, we're all going in the same direction. When we connect. Connect in a community. We can connect on other stuff outside the community because we're building real relationships. Okay, so check out the Patreon. We got three tiers. I don't care what tier you join. Um, the support is, um, the support is appreciated. Okay, thank you so much. Now back to the episode. So, for instance, um, I had a friend. Um, he was never afraid to talk to women. Uh, that was always my thing. I was just I always take the friend. I just know going to a situation, I'm going to take the friend. It's all good. But in his head, he knows how this thing's going to work out. Right. It's almost like a visionary. From visionary from walking up, what he's going to say, what she's going to say, how it's going to go, his rebuttal, where they're going to go later. But that's based on experience. That's all that
2: is. You can predict the future where you know what you know, mm. and that's what happened with your boy. He done been through it so many times; he can already predict the next move.
0: The thing is, I think so. For instance, in these interviews, I never know how they're gonna go. We've done uh, hundreds, of, over hundreds of Joyce. Mm-hmm. and I don't like even like if I'm if I'm building a business. It's always like a real organic thing, like we didn't run no ads to the morning meetup. We have like hundreds and hundreds of people in it. but literally day to day, I'm just focusing on delivering today and i'm'm I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get into it now I look at the numbers and analytics, stuff like that, but I just don't I don't know if i put the whole play together in my head. I just keep walking. Like, remember I asked you, okay, I got this product and this product, and I don't know what to do. You're like, well, okay, structure it this way, put it in the photo, This, you're going to run traffic to that. And and even after the call, I'm like, all right, I know what I'm going to do. And then I hang up. I was like, hold on, what did (laughs) he (laughs) say? I was looking at my notes like, uh, (laughs) that's why I'm saying, like, smart. But you told me something. We was at a restaurant. Um... Where you're like, yo, you don't even have to be smart. You mm-hmm. said something like that earlier mm-hmm. today. Explain that. Do you remember? Yeah.
2: No, I feel like people focus on the wrong thing to be wealthy. And the reality is, if you focus on certain key elements, key points, you can accomplish that. One is relationships. If you can master relationships, You'll get opportunities that the normal person would never get because they don't have the relationship. Mm. The second thing is making sure you have the drive to do it, being persistent and consistent. Those three, being consistent, and persistent with the right networking skills to build relationships, the people skills, with those three is a combination for wealth. Dang,
5: that's crazy.
2: It's easy. And then by you knowing this information. That just hit me you can utilize it in a way where you have the ups on anybody you meet because or that's trying to do the same thing you're trying to do because you understand that that's what you need because the information is going to come based on a relationship. If right now I wanted to start let's say an e brand and I knew nothing about e-commerce. I can call one of my relationships, and now I know everything.
0: Cause he's just gonna tell me. And then you'll consistently work at it and be persistent once things don't go well. You God and it just hit me because the same example that I was using like with this podcast. I, those are only three things I have. I'm consistently dropping every single week. I'm persistent. I'm, I'm going to get the interviews. And I'm I'm just focused on good relationships. Done. Dang, that's
7: genius. You are
0: smart. <laughs> <I'm> just, <laughs> seriously. So now if
2: you think about it, like, we built our relationship, right? You decided you have morning meetup. You want to create more products to add more value to your audience. What we did. We got on a call. Gave you my time. And you, like, we mapped out something crucial. Mm -hmm. But you didn't know that before the
1: call. Because your habits create your character. And your character determines your destiny. As we learn from our mutual mentor, you know what I'm saying? Like, success will take you there, but your character, your gifts and talents will take you there, but your character will keep you there. But it all starts right here inside the mind, so we got to have a strong belief system. Because I remember when we used to school, you would see the little posters that say, if you believe it, you can achieve it. Bro, that's facts. That was a ball. We thought it was corny. We thought it was cliche, but that's real. That's real. So when I began to believe I could do these type of numbers, when I began to believe I could travel the world, bro, my wife looking for homes down in South Africa. I was like, boo, come on, boo. She's like, oh, you don't believe? I was like, I have to check myself. Like, bro, don't be a hypocrite. Like, do you believe? People got to believe. And so to everybody that's watching us, everybody that's listening right now, like, I need you to believe in that power, that purpose, that potential, that society. you God has an amazing plan for your life if you believe. What do I look like trying to trying to determine where my life going to go. I ain't that smart. I ain't that talented. People talk about a five to 10 year plan. That makes sense. And it sounds good. But for me, I'm not even smart enough to figure out what I'm going to do with my life, right? That's why I wake up at 5 a.m. and I seek the face of God. Like, what you want me to do? What you think is the best play? And then I run that play. Like, that's how people can go to the next level. So it starts with the belief system. And then you got to put that work in every single day. Because my brother Brian, I here no more. And if he was here, he'd be putting that work in. So I felt what I look like feeling tired. What I look like feeling lazy. What I look like talking about what's not comfortable in me. Comfort mm-hmm. don't pay bills. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So we got to be willing to put that work in every single day. So let's go get in. That's be great.
0: Listen, can't close out no better than that, yeah. man. Do me a favor. Make sure you follow Jeremy Anderson, okay? Shoot him a- I would think, yo, would Jeremy help me out with that? It's just.